Hey everyone, why are elephants large, gray, hairy, and wrinkled? Because if they were small, white, smooth, and round, they'd be aspirin. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. If you're a new listener coming in from my recent appearance on Strange Studies of Strange Stories, I'm happy to have you here. I hope you enjoy the show and stick around for a bit. There are over 600 episodes of the show available for you to listen to, dating back over five years, so you have plenty to listen to. Ah, I just used listen to twice in one sentence. Thanks. I hate it. I'm happy to have you here regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales podcast believes that trans rights are human rights, that abortion is health care, and that black lives matter, and we stand in solidarity with you all. Transcripts of the show, as well as links to institutions fighting for reproductive justice, can all be found in the show notes. Here's some fun news. I just saw some preliminary artwork for new art for the show. I'm very excited about how it's coming out, and I'm looking forward to being able to show it to you in full. So, a quick word about the author of the story. You may not immediately recognize his name, but you do know the most famous thing he's ever written. Because of it, Edward Bulwer-Lytton has a fiction contest named after him in which the entrants have to come up with the opening line to the worst novel never written. You see, Bulwer-Lytton wrote a book called Paul Clifford, and the opening line of the novel is the infamous, It was a dark and stormy night. There's more to the sentence than that, but really, do you need any more? You do not. Anyway, I strongly urge you to go check out the Bulwer-Lytton fiction contest. It's always a good time. All right, enough prattle. Thanks for listening. On with the story. The Haunted and the Haunters, or The House and the Brain, by Edward Bulwer-Lytton. A friend of mine, who is a man of letters and a philosopher, said to me one day, as if between jest and earnest, Fancy, since we last met, I've discovered a haunted house in the midst of London. Really? Haunted? And by what? Ghosts? Well, I can't answer that question. All I know is this. Six weeks ago, my wife and I were in search of a furnished apartment. Passing a quiet street, we saw in the window of one of the houses a bill. Apartments furnished. The situation suited us. We entered the house, liked the rooms, engaged them by the week, and left them the third day. No power on earth could have reconciled my wife to stay longer, and I don't wonder at it. What did you see? Excuse me, I have no desire to be ridiculed as a superstitious dreamer, nor, on the other hand, could I ask you to accept on my affirmation what you would hold to be incredible without the evidence of your own senses. Let me only say this. It was not so much what we saw or heard, in which you might fairly suppose that we were the dupes of our own excited fancy or the victims of imposture in others, that drove us away, as it was an undefinable terror which seized both of us whenever we passed by the door of a certain unfurnished room, in which we neither saw nor heard anything. And the strangest marvel of all was that for once in my life I agreed with my wife, silly woman, though she be, and allowed after the third night that it was impossible to stay a fourth in that house. Accordingly, on the fourth morning, I summoned the woman who kept the house and attended on us, and told her that the rooms did not quite suit us and we would not stay out the week. She said dryly, I know why. You have stayed longer than any other lodger. If you ever stayed a second night, none before you a third. But I take it they have been very kind to you. They... who? I asked, affecting a smile. Why, they who haunt the house, whoever they are. I don't mind them. I remember them many years ago when I lived in this house, not as a servant, but I know they will be the death of me some day. I don't care. I'm old and must die soon anyhow, and then I shall be with them and in this house still. The woman spoke with so dreary a calmness that really it was a sort of awe that prevented my conversing with her further. I paid for my week, and too happy were my wife and I to get off so cheaply. 
"'You excite my curiosity,' said I. "'Nothing I should like better than to sleep in a haunted house. "'Pray, give me the address of the one which you left so ignominiously.' "'My friend gave me the address, and when we parted, "'I walked straight towards the house thus indicated. "'It is situated on the north side of Oxford Street, "'in a dull but respectable thoroughfare. "'I found the house shut up, no bell at the window, "'and no response to my knock. "'As I was turning away, a beer boy, "'collecting pewter pots in the neighboring areas, said to me, "'Do you want any one of that house, sir?' "'Yes, I heard it was to be let.' "'Let? What? The woman who kept it is dead. "'Has been dead these three weeks, "'and no one can be found to stay there, "'though Mr. J offered ever so much. "'He offered Mother, who'd charged for him, "'one pound a week just to open and shut the windows, "'and she would not.' "'Would not? And why? "'The house is haunted, "'and the old woman who kept it was found dead in her bed "'with her eyes wide open. "'They say the devil strangled her.' "'Pooh, you speak of Mr. J. "'Is he the owner of the house?' "'Yes.' "'Where does he live?' "'In G Street, number blank.' "'What is he? In any business?' Oh, "'No, sir, nothing particular. A single gentleman.' I gave the pot-boy the gratuity earned by this liberal information, and proceeded to Mr. J in G Street, which was close by the street that boasted the haunted house. I was lucky enough to find Mr. J at home, an elderly man with intelligent countenance and prepossessing manners. I communicated my name and my business frankly— I said I heard the house was considered to be haunted, that I had a strong desire to examine a house with so equivocal a reputation, that I should be greatly obliged if he would allow me to hire it, though only for a night. I was willing to pay for that privilege whatever he might be inclined to ask. "'Sir,' said Mr. J. with great curiosity, "'the house is at your service for as short or as long a time as you please. Rent is out of the question. The obligation would be on my side should you be able to discover the cause of the strange phenomena which, at present, deprive it of all value.' I cannot let it, for I cannot even get a servant to keep it in order or answer the door. Unluckily, the house is haunted, if I may use that expression, not only by night, but by day. Though at night the disturbances are more unpleasant and sometimes of a more alarming character. The poor old woman who died in it three weeks ago was a pauper, whom I took out of a workhouse. For in her childhood she had been known to some of my family, and had once been in such good circumstances that she had rented that house of my uncle. She was a woman of superior education and strong mind, and was the only person I could ever induce to remain in the house. Indeed, since her death, which was sudden, and the coroner's inquest, which gave it her notoriety in the neighborhood, I have so despaired of finding any person to take charge of the house, much more a tenant, that I would willingly let it rent-free for a year to anyone who would pay its rates and taxes. How long is it since the house acquired this sinister character? That I can scarcely tell you, but very many years since— the old woman I spoke of said it was haunted when she rented it between thirty and forty years ago. The fact is that my life has been spent in the East Indies and in the civil service of the company. I returned to England last year, on inheriting the fortune of an uncle, among whose possessions was the house in question. I found it shut up and uninhabited. I was told that it was haunted and that no one would inhabit it. I smiled at what seemed to me so idle the story. I spent some money in repairing it, added to its old-fashioned furniture a few modern articles, advertised it, and obtained a lodger for a year. He was a colonel, retired on half-pay. He came in with his family, a son and a daughter, and four or five servants. They all left the house the next day, and although each of them declared that they had seen something different from that which had scared the others, something still was equally terrible to all." I really could not in conscience sue, nor even blame the colonel for breach of agreement. Then I put in the old woman I have spoken of, and she was empowered to let the house in apartments. I never had one lodger who stayed more than three days. 
I do not tell you their stories. To no two lodgers have there been exactly the same phenomena repeated. It is better that you should judge for yourself than enter the house with an imagination influenced by previous narratives. Only be prepared to see and to hear something or other, and take whatever precautions you yourself please. Have you never had a curiosity yourself to pass a night in the house? Yes, I passed not a night, but three hours in broad daylight alone in that house. My curiosity is not satisfied, but it is quenched. I have no desire to renew the experiment. You cannot complain, you see, sir, that I am not sufficiently candid, and unless your interest be exceedingly eager and your nerves unusually strong, I honestly add that I advise you not to pass a night in that house. My interest is exceedingly keen, said I, and though only a coward will boast of his nerves in situations wholly unfamiliar to him, yet my nerves have been seasoned in such variety of danger that I have the right to rely on them, even in a haunted house. Mr. J. said very little more. He took the keys of the house out of his bureau, gave them to me, and, thanking him cordially for his frankness and his urbane concession to my wish, I carried off my prize. Impatient for the experiment, as soon as I reached home, I summoned my confidential servant, a young man of gay spirits, fearless temper, and as free from superstitious prejudices as any one I could think of. "'F,' said I, "'you remember in Germany how disappointed we were at not finding a ghost in that old castle, which was said to be haunted by a headless apparition? Well, I have heard of a house in London which I have reason to hope is decidedly haunted. I mean to sleep there tonight.' From what I hear, there is no doubt that something will allow itself to be seen or to be heard, something perhaps excessively horrible. Do you think, if I take you with me, I may rely on your presence of mind, whatever may happen? Oh, sir, pray trust me, answered F., grinning with delight. Very well. Then here are the keys of the house. This is the address. Go now. Select for me any bedroom you please, and since the house has not been inhabited for weeks, make up a good fire, air the bed well— See, of course, that there are candles as well as fuel. Take with you my revolver and my dagger, so much for my weapons. Arm yourself equally well, and if we are not a match for a dozen ghosts, we shall be but a sorry couple of Englishmen. I was engaged for the rest of the day on business so urgent that I had not leisure to think much on the nocturnal adventure to which I had plighted my honor. I dined alone and very late, and while dining read, as is my habit. I selected one of the volumes of Macaulay's Essays. I thought to myself that I would take the book with me. There was so much of the healthfulness in the style and practical life in the subjects that it would serve as an antidote against the influence of superstitious fancy. Accordingly, about half-past nine, I put the book into my pocket and strolled leisurely towards the haunted house. I took with me a favorite dog, an exceedingly sharp, bold, and vigilant bull terrier, a dog fond of prowling about strange ghostly corners and passages at night in search of rats, a dog of dogs for a ghost. It was a summer night, but chilly, the sky somewhat gloomy and overcast. Still, there was a moon, faint and sickly, but still a moon, and if the clouds permitted, after midnight it would be brighter. I reached the house, knocked, and my servant opened with a cheerful smile. All right, sir, and very comfortable. Oh, said I, rather disappointed. Have you not seen nor heard anything remarkable? Well, sir, I must own that I have heard something queer. "'What? What? The sound of feet pattering behind me, and once or twice small noises like whispers close at my ear. Nothing more. "'You are not at all frightened?' "'I? Not a bit of it, sir.' And the man's bold look reassured me on one point, viz. that happen what might, he would not desert me. We were in the hall, 
The street door closed, and my attention was now drawn to my dog. He had at first run in eagerly enough, but had sneaked back to the door and was scratching and whining to get out. After patting him on the head and encouraging him gently, the dog seemed to reconcile himself to the situation and followed me and F through the house, but keeping close at my heels instead of hurrying inquisitively in advance, which was his usual and normal habit in all the strange places. We first visited the subterranean apartments, the kitchen and other offices, and especially the cellars, in which last there were two or three bottles of wine still left in a bin covered with cobwebs, and evidently by their appearance, undisturbed for many years. It was clear that the ghosts were not wine-bibbers. For the rest, we discovered nothing of interest. There was a gloomy little backyard with very high walls. The stones of this yard were very damp, and what with the damp and what with the dust and smoke-grime on the pavement, our feet left a slight impression where we passed. And now appeared the first strange phenomenon witnessed by myself in this strange abode. I saw, just before me, the print of a foot suddenly form itself, as it were. I stopped, caught hold of my servant, and pointed to it. In advance of that footprint, as suddenly dropped another. We both saw it. I advanced quickly to the place. The footprint kept advancing before me, a small footprint, the foot of a child. The impression was too faint thoroughly to distinguish the shape, but it seemed to us both that it was the print of a naked foot. This phenomenon ceased when we arrived at the opposite wall, nor did it repeat itself on returning. We remounted the stairs and entered the rooms on the ground floor, a dining parlor, a small back parlor, and a still smaller third room that had been probably appropriated to a footman, all still as death. We then visited the drawing rooms, which seemed fresh and new. In the front room I seated myself in an armchair. F. placed on the table the candlestick with which he had lighted us. I told him to shut the door. As he turned to do so, a chair opposite to me moved from the wall quickly and noiselessly and dropped itself about a yard from my own chair, immediately fronting it. "'Why, this is better than the turning tables,' said I with a half-laugh. And as I laughed, my dog put back his head and howled. F., coming back, had not observed the movement of the chair. He employed himself now in stilling the dog. I continued to gaze on the chair and fancied I saw on it a pale blue misty outline of a human figure, but an outline so indistinct that I could only distrust my own vision. The dog now was quiet. "'Put back that chair opposite me,' said I to F. "'Put it back to the wall.' F. obeyed. "'Was, was that you, sir?' said he, turning abruptly. "'I? What? Why, something struck me. I felt it sharply on the shoulder just here.' "'No,' said I, "'but we have jugglers present, and though we may not discover their tricks, we shall catch them before they frighten us.' We did not stay long in the drawing-rooms. In fact, they felt so damp and so chilly that I was glad to get to the fire upstairs. We locked the doors of the drawing-rooms, a precaution which, I should observe, we had taken with all the rooms we had searched below. The bedroom my servant had selected for me was the best on the floor, a large one with two windows fronting the street.' The four-posted bed, which took up no inconsiderable space, was opposite to the fire, which burnt clear and bright. A door in the wall to the left, between the bed and the window, communicated with the room which my servant appropriated to himself. This last was a small room with a sofa bed, and had no communication with the landing place, no other door but that which conducted to the bedroom I was to occupy. On either side of my fireplace was a cupboard without locks, flush with the wall, and covered with the same dull brown paper. We examined these cupboards, only hooks to suspend female dresses, nothing else. We sounded the walls, 
evidently solid, the outer walls of the building. Having finished the survey of these apartments, warmed myself a few moments, and lighted my cigar, I then, still accompanied by F., went forth to complete my reconnoiter. In the landing place there was another door. It was closed firmly. Sir, said my servant in surprise, I unlocked this door with all the others when I first came. It cannot have got locked from the inside, for... Before he had finished his sentence, the door, which neither of us then was touching, opened quietly of itself. We looked at each other a single instant. The same thought seized both. Some human agency might be detected here. I rushed in first. My servant followed. A small, blank, dreary room without furniture, few empty boxes and hampers in a corner, a small window, the shutters closed, not even a fireplace, no other doors than that by which we had entered, no carpet on the floor, and the floor seemed very old, uneven, worm-eaten, mended here and there, as was shown by the whiter patches on the wood, but no living being, and no visible place in which a living being could have hidden. As we stood gazing round, the door by which we had entered closed as quietly as it had before. We were imprisoned. For the first time, I felt a creep of undefinable horror. Not so, my servant. Why, they don't think to trap us, sir. I could break the trumpery door with a kick of my foot. Try first if it will open to your hand, said I, shaking off the vague apprehension that had seized me, while I unclose the shutters and see what is without. I unbarred the shutters. The window looked on the little backyard I have before described. There was no ledge without, nothing to break the sheer descent of the wall. No man getting out of that window would have found any footing till he had fallen on the stones below. F., meanwhile, was vainly attempting to open the door. He now turned round to me and asked my permission to use force. And I should here state, in justice to the servant, that, far from evincing any superstitious terrors, his nerve, composure, and even gravity amid circumstances so extraordinary compelled my admiration and made me congratulate myself on having secured a companion in every way fitted to the occasion. I willingly gave him the permission he required, but though he was a remarkably strong man, his force was as idle as his milder efforts. The door did not even shake to his stoutest kick. Breathless and panting, he desisted. I then tried the door myself, equally in vain. As I ceased from the effort, again that creep of horror came over me, but this time it was more cold and stubborn. I felt as if some strange and ghastly exhalation were rising up from the chinks of that rugged floor and filling the atmosphere with a venomous influence hostile to human life. The door, now very slowly and quietly, opened as of its own accord. We precipitated ourselves into the landing place, we both saw a large, pale light, as large as the human figure, but shapeless and unsubstantial, move before us and ascend the stairs that led from the landing into the attics. I followed the light, and my servant followed me. It entered, to the right of the landing, a small garret of which the door stood open. I entered in the same instant. The light then collapsed into a small globule, exceedingly brilliant and vivid, rested a moment on a bed in the corner, quivered, and vanished. And that ends part one of the story. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, please feel free to join me on Patreon. Every dollar goes back into the show and is used to pay for things like guest readers, hosting fees, new artwork, none of that AI-generated garbage, thank you so much, and a couple other things I'll reveal when the time is right. Thank you to Melissa Boudreaux, 
Ambervale, and Steve Meyer for your support. It is greatly appreciated. Please check out the Colin Malatrap Museum of Curious Oddities and Strange Antiquities, my debut collection of weird fiction. Audiobook is currently being recorded. The link is in the show notes. Please go and get vaccinated for anything and everything you're available for. If you see a bigot out and about being an asshat, smear jelly on him. That will be his whole day. And always remember that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.